Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and we're here for another episode of Wuxia Weekend. I'm here with Kenny, Lady Chao Fung, and Adam, and we're going to be talking about House of Flying Daggers, a 2004 Zhang Yi movie. Uh, this is uh, uh, a film about two constables that uh, are investigating the House of Flying Daggers, and one of them has to escort a blind dancer through perilous terrain. And obviously it leads to a lot more than that, but we'll get into the sort of details uh, as we go. Um, so before we get into the, the story of it, what did you guys think of this movie? I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought the fight scenes were very well done and the sort of all the plot twists that came up throughout the movie were, were I wouldn't say they were unexpected. Like, you know, you can sort of meta it. You know, you expect something to be... <laughs> up when there's so few characters introduced yeah. and uh, you kind of you kind of can guess the twist of coming a mile off but it was still quite uh interesting to see how it played out on screen um i really liked um kind of shiro Takeshi as Jin in the movie like i, I thought uh he played the playboy part really well and to yeah. be honest like uh, i'm a bit jealous of jan Yi being you know caught between andy lao and, <laughs> and, and kind of shiro Takeshi is like that's a very enviable position to be in <laughs> I really enjoyed the movie. I thought um, I also thought the fight scenes were great. I, unlike Kenny, did not see all the plot twists that came. I expected some, but not, I guess, to the degree that they happened. And um, I just I like the color coloring of the movie. I thought it was really well done. It, I'm not one of those people that likes to see a movie right away after I finished watching it. And I really wanted to watch this one right away. Um, and Kenny stole my line. I would have liked to be caught between the two gentlemen <laughs> in this movie, too. So, I mean, yeah, it was great. The actors were awesome and the music was delightful. So, yes, I loved the movie. Yeah, this is just a, a fantastically made movie. I, uh, I agree with the, uh, everyone's impressions on it. But, you know, I mean, it's... It, it's it's really well acted. It's uh, the, the fight scenes are amazing. Just the, the the direction in general is really impressive. And uh, yeah, and there's there's this interesting effect though that it, it had on me. And I, I almost wonder if it was intentional because they they, they pile on. It's because you know looking looking at heroes, we're kind of connecting this to hero a bit. With hero, I commented on how because we're getting so many versions of the same story. I I had kind of a disconnect, kind of an intellectual disconnect from the characters because I'm thinking about them at a, at a bit of a remove, which was an unintentional effect in that movie. With this, I'm not going to go into specifics yet till we get into the synopsis, but there's so many twists in a row that during the later part of the movie, I was just kind of wary of like, is this character like you know really what they say they are? Is this is this like some kind of put on? And it. Uh, it, 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 you know, it's like I, I almost feel like based on this being a follow up to hero that, you know, in some movies I say that's a flaw. I wasn't engaged. There were too many twists. But I almost feel like it's an effect the movie was going for, perhaps. Or maybe I'm reading too much into it. I'm not sure. And uh, and, and I, I should say that the uh, because you mentioned the fight choreography, that, uh, that the mm. fight choreography was done by Tony Ching Sui Tung, um, you know, who we've mentioned before and. Uh, I believe he did the uh, fight choreography for Hero, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, and uh, I think that the, uh, um, uh, what was it? The, uh, the I saw this a very long time ago. Um, and and so, you know, I, I saw it again for, for this viewing. But I, I, I think that I was also, when I first saw it, uh, surprised by the by the twist at the end so i i didn't see it coming and it was hard for me to tell how obvious it was uh you know knowing what was coming down the road this time um but the thing that really struck me about it you know the time that uh you know this this uh this week when i was watching it was was the music and the uh and just the fact that it's it's really because it, whenever i talk about house of flying daggers and i compare it to hero i I'll, I'll often I'll often say that it's like more it's it, it's got more of the martial world and it's got uh it, it's more adventurous, but uh, 
but really is only about three characters, this film. And so it's very minimal. It's almost more minimalist than Hero in a lot of ways. Um, and so, so yeah, so, and, and, uh, and yeah, so I, I, I think it's a good movie. I think this is probably the, uh, uh, for me, out of the three movies we're doing for Zhang Yimou, this is probably my favorite, because uh, I feel like it's a little bit more, it feels more like a, like, classic wuxia to me. It feels like it's got sort of the, uh, you know, more of the adventure, the characters are more the kind of characters that you would encounter in a wuxia movie or story. And, and I think that the fighting is a little bit more entertaining for me than the fighting that was in Hero. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so why don't we get right into it? And I do want to apologize to the listeners because I have a cold and it might uh, be affecting my voice uh, over the course of the podcast. But uh, we're going to go through the story uh, bit by bit. So the movie opens up and there are uh, police headquarters in Feng Tian County. And they've been, uh, they've been told, we, you know, we open up and we see the two constable characters, Leo and Jin, uh, as they're called in the subtitles. And Leo is played by Andy Lau, and Jin is played by uh, Kenishiro Takeshi, who I think was in um, uh, Redcliffe. And, uh, and so uh, they, they basically find out that uh, they have 10 days to catch the new leader of Flying Daggers because they just... I, apparently they just assassinated the previous leader, and it took them three months, and so now they got ten days. And they, they, they're going to follow a lead at the, uh, the Peony Pavilion, where Jin has to go in sort of undercover. And then while he's there, uh, he's supposed to find out which of the, which of the dancers is connected to the, uh, the House of Flying Daggers so that they can, so that they can arrest her. And, and so, yeah, so why don't we start with the, I think the, the Peony Pavilion scene is sort of the big opener on this one. So any, any thoughts on that scene? Yeah. Actually, I'm not sure, but does Zhang Yi have like a background in martial arts or dance? Because dancing. I think her dancing, dancing yeah, because yeah. she, she definitely was very good at the poses and, and, the, and the dance movements there. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's also the fighting scenes, I guess. But yeah, it just struck out to me like how she did the classic Chinese dancing very well. Yeah, she. she... Yeah, I looked up her uh, her, oh. her background on that. She is so good at it. But God, you, you were gonna... Oh no, I was just going to confirm what you were saying, which is she yeah, she's got yeah. like a really she she went to like a prestigious school, and I think she studied from a very young age, and so she's got like real dancing ability, and and I think it's just obvious. You know, I don't think. CGI was good enough at this time to to <laughs> you could not to, yeah, CGI yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. So no, th- this was this was really this was really good uh, use of of her talent there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved the Echo Game. Um, I thought her movements in that were just astounding. You could tell that she must have had some kind of dancer's background just by how um, flexible she was and. The movements weren't sloppy; they were very tight and you know pointed toes and everything. I thought yeah. that was a great great scene and a showcase of her dancing ability but i I really liked the idea of the echo game too. I thought it was kind of like a a neat kind of setup yeah no and and about the echo game, one thing I've always wanted because I, I like the concept up until we get to the point where he throws all of the beans and then she like is supposed to like rep, you know, like that part is the one where I always kind of say, well, how is she supposed to like, how are they even know she's doing it at that point? Yeah. Um, I know. It's like, not only would she have to be good enough to do it, the guy throwing the beans has to be good enough to like, know if she's doing it right. She yeah. just go, yeah, he's not going to no. know. I'm just going to do this one, this one, this one. No, <laughs> I think we do have to spoil, uh, the end of the movie just to talk about this film. So I'm going to do that now if sure. people are okay with it. You know, we, we know by the end that she's not even blind and that he's in on it. So the other interesting thing about this scene is this is really just a show for whoever they want to get to believe that that this is a legitimate arrest. Um, yeah, so. I had to watch this scene again after watching the movie. I'm like, how does this scene play out when you know everything about these characters? And well, it's very different. Well, one of the things I like about this film is if you watch Andy Lau's performance early on, knowing what you know down the road i feel like you can see him you know you can see his thoughts even when his character is like smiling when he should be really upset you can kind of see the like the, the conflict in his eyes um 
so I feel like I feel like a lot of the stuff is present earlier. Like you see signs of what's to come. Um, but uh, but yeah. So anyways, they you know uh, they they end up uh, she ends up during the Echo game trying to draw a sword on him and attacking him. She actually takes his sword with like a silk ribbon or something. And and there's an there's a fight and then she gets uh, paralyzed and thrown into the, the the pool and brought to the station where they tell her that they're gonna torture her if they don't if she doesn't talk about the house the house of flying daggers, and and so this is when they concoct the idea of uh, of of trying to use her to to get to the uh, to the new leader, and so it's a it's a and, and then what they end up doing is uh, Jin uh, you know. Uh, breaks in, rescues her, and then, you know, is supposed to try to uh, con- uh, sort of seduce her on the road and then work his way into the House of Flying Daggers so that they can, they can find the new leader and, 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 and arrest or kill them. And, uh, and so, you know, as they're, as they're uh, fleeing together, uh, we get, you know, hints of, uh, of an emerging uh, love story between Jin and Mei, the blind dancer, and we also have this scene where the soldiers from, I don't know if it's a constabulary office or if the, I think they're military inspectors because he mentions the general sort of stepping in and they call their men soldiers, but I don't know. Um, but, but whatever it is, the, 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 the enforcement uh, officials that, that, that's part of their police office uh, chase after them. And he does this little trick where he fires his arrows at them, and he just it just sort of penetrates their clothing but doesn't harm them and that's enough to at least initially convince her that he might be uh um uh you know legit but again, he's really the one being tricked here, not her, so it's kind of interesting that you're sort of con like when you rewatch this movie, you're sort of constantly going back and forth being aware of these things. And and it has an unusual effect. So I don't know. I don't. I don't want to go too far ahead of of myself here. So do you guys have any thoughts on on that sequence or the jail or anything else? I found. I don't know. It might be me, but I found a little bit of sexual tension in the um, in the scene where he was showing her the um, showing she's the blind. Device, and, right. Yeah. Right. Um, the way that I guess he was so close to her and touching and everything. I know she's um, supposed to be blind, but for me, there felt like there was some kind of sexual tension. And I kind of felt at that point that um, maybe they had known each other before. Um, Even back in the scene with the Echo game, when he was throwing the pebbles and he gets these little smirks on his faces. I kind of felt like that there was something up and I don't know at the very beginning, I guess I kind of thought that he was the new leader of the house of flying Mm. daggers and he was throwing everybody else off with this blind girl. That was just me. And then as things unfolded, you know, I, you get the real story, but I was just kind of thinking he was, he kind of had, I had this feeling that he knew her more than he was actually putting out there because if she was a member of the house of flying daggers, and I already had this thought that maybe he was the new leader, but covertly trying to get rid of the soldiers and everybody else to get off the house of flying daggers trail then you know then there was some kind of sexual tension between the two but you know that was my mind working yeah i i was distracted enough by her her like dancing in that scene that i wasn't paying enough attention to leo in that scene to pick up any of that so (laughs) well i think i think you are right because when you when you see that scene again in the in the police office it's clear i mean you know, I and mean, especially when you know what, you know, what uh, the rest of the movie, um, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously not planning on torturing her. But I think there is sexual tension, but there's also kind of a hint of what's to come as well in terms of, you know, how dark the, the story gets. Um, but uh, but yeah, so there's the so then they, they go off on, you know, and and continue on. 
and they stop so that she can take a bath and uh and Jin sort of pretends like he's going to go into the woods but he really just sort of sets up his uh his sword on a tree so that it continues to ping as if he's off in the distance and he sits there and watch her watches her and she's fully aware that he's doing this and so then they dress her as a man so that she can uh, uh go about in disguise and and this is when when they when they have their first kiss and they start to make out and then we suddenly get this shift in point of view where we see it almost is like an onlooker is watching them and and may stops and and you know and and it's sort of you know so what starts out as sort of a passionate moment becomes uh very cold and 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 she asks uh you know you know you know because because we've already established in the movie at this point that he's a playboy and so she says like can a playboy like you be for real and this is like a recurring thing that gets thrown at him from her um and so so after that they uh you know they 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 continue on and then there's this scene in a field where uh where again they have like a tender moment where he brings her to a field and she's delighted that there are flowers there and this is where we start to hear that that lover's theme in the background and then the soldiers show up again but this time the soldiers do not back down they're intent on causing harm and he has to kill some of them to uh to stop them and and she is also sort of throwing her daggers and using her her staff so we get a really you know uh spectacular fight sequence here and it ends when uh some mysterious person in the trees uh throws some sharpened wooden projectiles to kill the uh the soldiers um and so, you know, we'll, we'll go on after that, but I, don't, I want to gather some people's thoughts. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed um, the sort of the interactions between uh, Jin and May, so in this sort of little sequence, because, uh, I, I don't know, like so, something about the way um, Kenneshiro Takeshi plays Jin is just really charming, and you could really see, like, someone falling head over head over heels in, in 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 love with him just because like he is so uh, he is suave he's like he oozes like sex appeal yeah. <laughs> is, that, is what i would say and um and you know it, it, to the point where, where we mentioned where they have like a passionate kissing scene and then she just suddenly like stops I, I yeah I guess now that you've mentioned it, it the the shift in point of view is actually quite significant because it means that maybe she's she's she realizes that Leo is uh it in in close by and uh, she doesn't want to you know do anything um or frisky in front of him because she knows how well, either she knows how how he feels for her or you know she doesn't want to uh be seen as um compromising the mission in any way or whatever um i totally agree with kenny um i kind of when i noticed that the point of view had changed and that if the camera angle kind of changed as if we were um looking in on them and kind of like through someone else's eyes and when she stopped it kind of made me wonder more if um about her and Leo, because we by now know that um, Leo is kind of following them. So it kind of made me wonder more how closely connected these two were and if she was, you know, she didn't want to um, do anything in front of him. Plus, I was also wondering if he had said the same line to her don't fall for him knowing that he was a playboy or, you know, was going to pretend to be like one. And then he's telling Jin don't fall for her because he knows the potential dangers of what could happen if these two um, fall in love with each other. That is an interesting point because we only see him talk to Jin, but it's entirely possible he's going up to May and talking to her or that he had a chance to speak with her uh, when she was in the jail um it's also i think it's also interesting this scene at the end of it uh you know she says i know you're for real to Jin, and she starts embracing him and they begin to kiss but then he stops it because i think because of the emotional weight of having to kill his own men and realizing that he might be in some serious danger now uh you know is, is starting is starting to take its toll on him 
And uh, and so then we go to the next scene where he's in the woods talking with Leo, like you said, and and uh, and and Leo, uh, you know, who again, we, we I, I think we, we already had an earlier scene where he had warned him to not uh, fall in love with her. But now he explains to him that, oh, no, the plan has changed. I, you know, like those guys were ordered by the general. Now the general's taken over. And I don't think we even find out the general's name. I could be wrong, but I think they just call him the general. Um, but we know that he's taken over the mission and that he wanted to see blood because he wanted, he, he, you know, he felt that they needed to, uh, to shed real blood for the, uh, for the roost to work. And, and so uh, we also get a, a clear hint of, of, of the future where, uh, where Leo, uh, where Jin says, you know, do, do you know how I felt killing my own men? And Leo responds, you know, saying, you know, I felt worse. I'm tortured. And the look on Jin's face is kind of puzzled because it, I, I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't compute right away. And, and the, and the expression on, on Leo's face is, 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 a, is I don't know. It just doesn't seem to match the events that are going on. Um, so we, we definitely kind of get a hint of what, what's up. And at this point, Jin just basically says that he quits. And, and then we get the next scene, which is the campfire ruins scene where he and, and May are together. And she's sort of trying to talk him into, uh, into, into to, to, like there's this whole playful exchange they have about him being the wind. And as I think his nickname is the wind. And, and, uh, and, he, and, and a free spirit and a playboy. And, 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 and she basically is trying to get him to sort of, uh, you know, you know, stop blowing around and just be with her. And, and, uh, and he, and he says, you know, that's like not in my nature. And so she tells him to go away and says, I don't need you anymore. And he leaves on his own and she leaves on her own. And then that leads us to the bamboo forest scene where she's surrounded by another group of soldiers that begin attacking her. And this bamboo forest scene is, I think, an amazingly shot scene. It's really gorgeous, uh, and it kind of harkens back to uh, a scene in Touch of Zen. And and so, you know, as as she's fending off these soldiers, Jin returns, and and uh, and you know, they're ulti- they, they 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 kill some of the soldiers, but they're ultimately surrounded in a field of of sharpened spikes. And they're encased in bamboo shafts, and then they're uh, re- they're released when the soldiers who are about to surround them and presumably finish them off or capture them are killed by the the House of Flying Daggers who show up at that moment. So I don't know. I, I would want to gather your thoughts on on up to this point as well before moving on. Oh yeah, the bam- the bamboo um, forest scene was amazing. Um, just the way the, those officers are like shimmying upside down down the bamboo uh, while waving weapons around was pretty cool. And they just pull bamboo out of nowhere to throw at the uh, at the couple who were trying to run away. It was just mildly amusing to me. And the trap that they set at the end with all the bamboo spikes coming, just popping straight up out of the ground was, uh, I don't know, it, it seems entirely plausible for you know for that level of technology in the time but it's still pretty impressive that they've that they could rig the entire floor of the uh, forest to pop up and sharpen bamboo yeah i like that the bamboo is being used as weaponry here that really added to the overall look especially there's one scene where the bamboo shaft smashes and it splinters into like a like uh i don't know what you it almost it almost it just kind of opens up like a like a like a homemade broom or something and uh, it, it looked it looked really spectacular. Yeah, and I think one thing we didn't we mentioned was when yeah previously when they were in the flower field they get rescued by uh, well uh, we later find out it's uh, Leo but the weapon that was that they used to rescue that, that he uses to rescue them um, you know instead of being like signature flying daggers or whatever he uses like sharpened bits of wood. Yeah. Um, to sort of like conceal his identity, and I just thought that was like a the interesting thing there, which sort of um, I don't know, it, it's sort of like a bit of foreshadowing as well that there's someone uh, with incredible like hidden weaponry skills following and protecting them in the background who isn't just the the, the House of Flying Daggers, and um, but you know here we actually get the House of Flying Daggers uh, coming to rescue them and. 
um, yeah, we sort of get the first. Well, we've already seen uh, May using the daggers at some point before, but you know, we sort of see like a higher level of mastery being demonstrated yeah. by uh, who we assume is the leader of the House of Flying Daggers. What do they call her? Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah. Nia. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that scene uh, mirrors this scene a lot too, because in that scene, they're they're kind of be like the the soldiers are sort of surrounding them and encasing them and then he he kills them with the the spikes and in this scene the bamboo shafts are encasing them and then she uh she you know she she slaughters the uh the um the soldiers and then she cuts them free from the bamboo with a with a with a thrown dagger um i mean she has some really impressive skills when you when you see her uh, they, they all have some pretty impressive yeah. dagger skills to be yeah. honest yeah. like <laughs> Um, but yeah, I also want to mention one thing is that I like how sort of vulnerable the characters feel here. Like they're all doing really fantastic things, but when it comes to being overwhelmed by sheer numbers, it's not like in Hero where you had, uh, you know, the, the, the couple there like slicing through shields and like barging all the way into the Imperial Palace. Like you don't, you don't get the feeling that the people in this mo- in House of Flying Daggers could do the same thing, mm-hmm. but you also get this, the, you know, the, the, the um, a sense for for the level of like physical accomplishment that you know isn't isn't outside of the realm of believability because you know they get tired their weapons break uh they take wounds and and yeah they they, they can't defend themselves defend against like attacks from all sides yeah it's easy it's easy when you have characters that have all these crazy powers to slip into a movie feeling like it has no stakes but this is and this this like during that scene i was really like very concerned it's like it just really creates this impending feeling of uh of them being overpowered as it goes on despite how powerful they are and uh i totally Oh, I totally agree with what everyone is saying. It's just these characters, you feel like that they could die at any moment from all these onslaughts and attacks, where as in Hero, I wasn't here for the discussion, but I just thought that they were kind of beyond superhuman, and I didn't expect them to like really die. I realized that they you know, were pretending to be dead, pretty early in the movie but when it actually came down to the ending and they died i was kind of shocked mm. um so here i'm i'm expecting pretty much everybody to die at some point because mm-hmm. they feel more grounded and more real and more vulnerable and more human even with their fantastic and almost surreal abilities they're just they feel like more real people than some superhuman character i guess yeah what's an interesting thing about this movie is that like at the beginning when the text comes up on the screen it's setting up this conflict between the corrupt government officials and the the house of flying dagger stuff and it it, it's like i felt like it was going to be a different kind of movie but the movie ultimately doesn't care it's it's all it cares about is what happens to these people these three people in the story and that it just the, the the larger conflict is 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 kind of just on the sidelines to one extent. Yeah, the, the fight choreography is pretty interesting. I think I think especially when you get to the end scene, which we'll, which we'll all I guess we'll talk about when we get there. But I, I feel like it's got a, a nice blend of of really over the top stuff, but also kind of like you said, there's like a, there is a gritty uh, peril to a lot of it. There's a set like uh, you know like like characters are capable of really amazing things. Like he fires four arrows in one shot, and at his own men and just sort of gets them through the sides of their gowns without harming them, which is, you know, nobody could really do that. Uh, but I feel like in this setting, if those arrows really hit you, they're quite lethal. Um, so it's, it's a, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting approach. And I think we really kind of see it on display at the end. Um, but after, after they're captured, number one, as the, as the soldiers are encircling them, uh, May says to him, you shouldn't have come back. And he says, I came back for you. And this is important because she says it again at the end of the movie. Um, and, and when, uh, you know, when, they, when they're brought back to, uh, uh, to the House of Flying Daggers, uh, it becomes clear to Jin that, uh, that May is not blind. And, you know, there's a little bit of a moment where he's tricked by them where uh, a woman who says that she's Nya, who it turns out she isn't, 
um, is, uh, you know, offers to be a matchmaker for him in May. And then when he goes to thank her, she grabs, she has a net and snare him and they tie him up and they bring in Leo and he's bound to. And then May comes in and pours, uh, I think, tea for Nya. And, you know, he, he begins to realize that she's been doing this as a, as a trick for the, for the house, the house of flying daggers. And, uh, and, and so, you know, this is where I think the movie starts to turn very hard into the, into the love triangle that, you know, it's sort of, this is like where it becomes a different movie. Like up until this point, you still feel like, you know, the movie was going a certain direction. And then here it really just becomes this, this explosion of melodrama between these three characters. And so, uh, when they bring out Leo, you know, uh, on the surface to execute him, uh, you know, uh, Nya takes him into the woods and then releases him and says he's done a good job. And then it becomes clear he's a mole and he's been working for the House of Flying Daggers as a government, uh, imp, uh, a government plant for like three years. And it also becomes clear he's in love with May and that this is sort of torturing him. And that's what that whole conversation between him and Jin was about earlier. And he's given uh, permission to see May again. So you get the sense that there are like rules in this House of Flying Daggers. Um, and you get, you also get the sense that, like, what are they fighting for? Because like, you know, on the one hand you have this oppressive, ineffectual, uh, empire that, that, that they're resisting, but the house of flying daggers seems pretty crushing to be a part of too. So, you know, and I, and I think that's what leads to a lot of the stuff that emerges in the end. Um, and so then when he goes to see May, he, uh, you know, it's a little ambiguous exactly what their relationship is. Like they clear, like clearly he's in love with her and clearly she knows he's in love with her and she walks up to him and is tender to him. But I almost get the impression that there's a strong possibility that, uh, she had been, uh, seducing Leo as well the whole time, that this was sort of part of how they got Leo to do what they wanted him to do. Um, because there's a, there's a, there's like a lack of reciprocation on her part. Uh, that I don't think is fully explained just by the presence of Jin. Um, and there's also the mention by um, the madam uh, or the, the stand-in for Nia that um, it's not the first time um, yes. he uses yeah. uh, beauty to seduce men. Yeah, and so that's what that's what tipped me off. So I, I, I think that I think that that what she was saying is that he was also someone that was seduced, and uh, and, and and also just the way he talks about it. he says like you're you're the love of my life. And she doesn't really say anything back. Like he, he says all these like really big things and her reactions are very minimal. Um, like they're like the bare, they're the, they're the most you can get away with like not saying, do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, uh, and, and then this leads to a really dangerous situation where, uh, where he, where he starts kissing her and she kisses him back a little bit, but then she tries to stop him and he gets very aggressive and basically tries to rape her and, uh, Nia throws a dagger in his back and tells him like, you know, do not do that. And to keep the dagger in your back, because I'm going to send you back to, uh, to the capital, And it'll be more convincing if you have a dagger in your back, uh, than if you don't. And, and then she dismisses him and then she orders May to kill Jin. And so May takes Jin out into the, uh, to the, I think to the fields where they had that big battle before, or at least fields that are very similar to them. And, and she's, uh, and she ends up, uh, cutting, cutting his, uh, cutting his ropes and, and then they, they make love and then they're about, and then they part ways and he tries to convince her to go on the road with him. And she, she, at some point during this, she says to him, we're like on two different sides of a big battle here. You know, if we try to be together, one of us is going to have to die. And, or I think she says, if we meet again, one of us is going to have to die. And, so he leaves and then she kind of is sitting there, not sitting, but standing there against the fall landscape and thinking. And then she ends up going after him. And right when she sets out to get him uh, or to, to go to him, uh, she gets a dagger in the heart from Leo. And and then this sort of leads to the big battle between um, between Leo and Jin. And, and then that that really strange Mexican standoff at the end of the battle where uh, May gets up and she she has a dagger in her chest 
and Leo is about to throw the dagger from his back at Jin, and she's threatening Leo that if he tries that, she's going to pull the dagger out, and Jin is saying to her, no, if you pull the dagger out, you, you'll die, and it gets very complicated. So I, I know we covered a lot there, so why don't we just, just whatever your thoughts are. Uh, I find it interesting that in, in the scene where um, Leo was not quite forcing himself onto uh, May yet, but she has the same look on her face as like when she was acting blind. I'm not sure if there was any significance in that, but I just thought that was uh, a noticeable uh, point in that scene. Which scene was that again? I'm sorry. It was just just before um, Leo uh, forces himself onto May, like it, you know when they're kissing and she's like slightly kissing back, and then she's got like the whole glazed, far away, blind look that she's she had for the whole time when she was with um, with Jin. That's true, and it, it also is kind of it, it's it's the look that she got. Uh, when when she was with Jin and they were they were about to make love and then we get that change in point of view and then she kind of you know d- you know just sort of suddenly stops but Jin's reaction was the opposite of of Leo's reaction um, and so so yeah I don't know that that is an interesting point though yeah and also so the the part where um leo's dagger uh when when uh when may tries to chase after Jin and leo's dagger hits her in the heart i thought it was like a pretty interesting use of daggers there and how he how he hit a dagger behind another dagger kind of thing to, mm-hmm. to try and stop her from defending against it it's like it, he, he knew very well what uh may's you know dagger technique capabilities were and how, how to uh control it and she also said, you know, when he when he talked to her after he stabbed her, uh, that she knew he was going to do that, um, which she which she kind of indicated earlier too, where she said, if we meet again, one of us is going to die, and and so there's a sense of inevitability in all this, um, and and also I guess one point that we forgot about is the snow. They 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 sort of fight it, again. It's this weird thing because I found the final fight incredibly gritty. This is the first time we see swords getting like nicked and getting like you know like like these are really battered weapons by the end of this duel between Jin and leo uh but it's also one of these battles where the snow starts falling and everything feels very surreal and so there was this combination of grit and surreality that i thought was kind of interesting um but what, what did people think of the fight itself yeah it was definitely very gritty and you know, it was like a build-up of emotion on both sides. You can really sort of feel their despair and anger. You know, you got sort of the... I mean, they both both of them were quite despairing at the fact that Mei was now dead, but um, Jin had the additional element of sort of anger at the fact that, yeah, Leo was the one who killed her. And I think this is actually... Yeah, well, this is the first, uh, first that um, Jin knows that Leo is uh, part of the House of Flying Daggers. Uh, all along, you know, they've been addressing each other as sort of brother, and yeah, you, know, you get the impression that they were close friends while they were, quote unquote, working together in in the uh, uh, the police office or whatever, <laughs> whatever <laughs> they call it, the magistrates' uh, office or whatever, and and, and you know, it, it's. Uh, it, it's all come to a head for for Jin here. I mean, now he, his best friend has betrayed him and killed, uh, or betrayed him and the country in his mind, and also uh, killed the woman that he he fell in love with. So you know, you can really feel the sort of raw emotion coming from him during that fight as well. And I really like how you know the the snow starts coming because you know snow I think generally is um, you know it. it, it it's sort of symbolism there of being um, despair, not quite despair, but uh, mourning, I guess. Sort of like it, it adds a sort of depressive tone to the whole thing. Like, it, I don't know, like, there's a slight difference between, you know, using rain in the scene and using snow in the scene, for example. I feel like they give different impressions. When it's snow, it's sort of like, it's like a whole bitterness to uh, yeah. and um despair to things whereas with rain it would just be like sadness and uh mel- melancholy like I, I don't know like uh, that's my impression of uh, or, or like the using snow and uh rain and and as a sort of backdrop for these sort of things 
another thing with the snow too is there's points where it seemed like it was almost going to erase them both. You know, it was like there's like <laughs> lots of white on the screen. I mean, they, they, you know, it was just, just. I mean, it, you know, it goes back to the kind of despair and futility thing. It's like at this point they're fighting over something that's lost, and there's, you know, no one's going to win this fight in any meaningful way. It's just, it, yeah, it. it I mean, you know, usually the big fight at the end of a of a movie, there's some kind of chance of triumph or something. But this is, you know, it's, it's pretty bleak at that point. Yeah, it's like a total lose lose situation um, at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, none, neither one of the men really gets what they want. Uh, the woman that they both love is dead, and the you know. One, they've kind of betrayed each other in a way because Jin's not, uh, Jin has fallen in love when Leo told him not to. And, you know, there's just so much going on between the two of them that, it, yeah, and the snow falling, I thought was going to bury them all and just kind of wipe the slate clean, kind of. That you know, once the snow covered them all, it was all done and everything. But then there's still a little bit more to come. Yeah, and the uh, and and they're just hacking at each other in this. Like this, this yes. is like a very messy looking battle by design. I think like it, it's it's just it's like anger. It's not because some of because we saw their skill in earlier fight scenes, and we see some of that here. But a lot of it just was it just devolves into into them slicing each other up. Uh, you know, one like like they're, they they get to a point where like they're each taking turns hacking at each other, and uh, um, you know, uh, again, not enough to kill each other it seems because I think they both survived this. It looks like both of them are going to be alive uh, when this ends, um, and that makes me wonder what's going to happen uh, when you know because they're they're going to be there together and do they do they do they kill each other or do they uh, do they go their separate ways? Uh, they certainly aren't going to be. Uh, you know, they're not going to be able to 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 mend uh, mend the the bridge that, that just burned there. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Uh, what what about the Me- the Mexican standoff sequence? The to me, that's like where the, that's where it really gets like emotional. Is that scene? That's sort of like the emotional crown of the whole movie. It's funny because it reminds you a bit of like that. Um parable or story from the bible of king solomon and the, the child that's being argued over by the two women here and, and one is split him in half yeah 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 uh, and here in this case you know it's like Jin is basically saying no yeah i'll, I'll die yeah you know, there's no point pulling it out because i'll just go closer towards uh leo and he'll kill me before your dagger gets there anyway so it's pointless whereas yeah leo's just like fine whatever i'll just you know i'll just throw the dagger and then we can all die together and and I don't know. I, I it feels like um, from the scene that uh, Leo's love is more of a, like a possessive one rather than one of like um, yeah, yeah, definitely like like full on. Yeah, I was I thinking think. obsession. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He feels he's the one that's wronged, but he he had there's just no moral basis to his. Uh... Well, he even says to her, I think at one point, like you know, you don't have to be with me, but you can like not be with anybody else, basically. Like, yeah, uh, right. <laughs> uh, so he's pretty, he's pretty possessive, I think. Um, and I think, I think, uh, I think, you know, having Andy Lau in that role fit, it worked really well. Like he really gets that, you know, that character uh, effectively. Um, but what about her? Like, okay, so we know she didn't seem to really reciprocate Leo, but what about Jin? Because she never actually says to Jin, oh, yeah, I love you, or I love, you know what I mean? Like, at the end, it's always, you shouldn't have come. And that could have multiple meanings. And, and she kind of has a look in her eyes that says, I love you. But maybe there, maybe it's not for love. Maybe it's for something else, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like this is like a go gone. I was just going to say, I thought that there... Out of the two arms of the tri- or two of the arms of the triangle, I thought the love between Jin and May was more true and real and pure, and the love that May and Leo experienced was more of an obsession, one-sided. Um, I thought that when he came back the first time, I could tell that he loved her, but when he she 
decided that she was going to go to him, that's when she realized that she was in love with him. And those words are kind of haunting to me. Why did you come back? So what do you think she meant? I don't know. What do you think she meant by that? Like, uh, I think it kind of, it goes with, um, if, um, what did she say? Oh, if, um, we meet again, one of us is going to have to die knowing that she already had strong feelings for him, that if he came back, one of them was going to die and it was more likely going to be him. I thought, um, that's what she meant. And that was her way of saying kind of that. I, I feel really strongly for, for you remembering ghosts, how they're, um, I think it was, uh, Patrick Swayze couldn't say I loved you. He just said ditto the whole time. I think that was her ditto in okay. a way. That okay. was her way of saying that um, that I love you is why did you come back? Okay. Um, yeah. Well, and I could see more of a passion in her eyes when she looked at him as opposed to when, when she looked at Leo. I, I definitely think there was more passion. I just wonder how how much love there was that i don't know i i I, I'm, I think she loved him okay well that's the counter question is that if she wasn't in love with him what motivated her to pull the dagger out of her heart and, and save him that's the question i mean what other motivation right. is there well because she said if we meet again we're going to some one of us is going to die so maybe maybe it was like a, a suicidal impulse on her part do you know what i mean like could like, be i mean i don't know i, I don't know i just uh Again, I just I there there was I I found myself getting more suspicious of hmm. of the of their love the more I watched it. I can't well, really make a good I, argument for why, but I I know what you mean. Well, like I said it during the beginning and during when we were, when we were first giving our first impressions. I the you know watching this the first time at this point in the movie we'd had so many twists like yeah. even even weird twists like oh this isn't really the head of you know. The House of Flying Daggers, it's this person, which didn't even really have any plot potential, but it was kind of another twist thrown in there on top of all the plot-relevant twists. I was just so suspicious during this scene going, well, is this person playing this person or this person playing this person? But Yeah, maybe, maybe I, know, I was overthinking. Whole... Maybe I was just sort of getting too paranoid about what people's motives yeah, were. Okay. Uh, the first time watching it, I was that way. It was just that after the movie ended and I had time to digest it all, I thought, okay, there, there wasn't another twist coming. So I think she really did love him. Okay. But, uh, well, and the interesting thing that I thought happened in this scene too is that uh, Leo doesn't throw that dagger. He, uh, yeah, you know, that, that was interesting. That was a that was sort of a you know an unexpected move. And and again, I mean, you could I guess you could sort. Of, oh, did you want to say something? I was gonna I was gonna say that he didn't throw that dagger because he I think he knew that she was serious serious about pulling it out. So she thought that he was going to throw it it would she would pull it out and she would die and then no one would be able to have her so he was kind of getting what he want on his obsessive end okay. that was my thinking i'm like i guess the pure romantic and her taking the dagger out like uh kenny um, not kenny adam had said was her ultimate sacrifice to sacrifice herself for the man that she loved yes it was suicidal but it was the ultimate act that you can do for someone is to die for them. See, I think on on Leo's part, there was a bit of denial in himself. Like uh, to that moment, I, I think he was sort of thinking, "No, there's a chance that she will still choose me." Uh-huh. So you know, if I pretend to throw the dagger out, she won't really pull the dagger out of out of her heart and kill herself because. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because she 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 will eventually end up with me. I'm the one only one who deserves her, and uh, and yeah, it would be a bluff to try and like yeah to try and not drive Jin into despair. But I guess that maybe that maybe that that would have happened. Like if he pretended to throw the dagger and she didn't actually pull the dagger out of her heart, then yeah, Jim would have just uh, probably probably been. I don't know. It'd be hard to say. Like, you'd probably be glad that she didn't kill herself. At the same time, you're like, oh, so you didn't actually love me after all, then? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's great. I, I like that uh, that take on it. But I like that to, too. Yeah, he's trying to reveal that the love wasn't real. That's that's good. 
Yeah. Now, so I don't know, General. What did you guys think of the ending? Did you like it, or was it too was it too too much of a downer, or was it you know just right? No, I this movie felt like it was going to have a downer ending from very early on. So I was I was steeled for a downer ending. Definitely. Okay. I would have liked a happy ending, but I was ready. <laughs> I actually sent you the message on Facebook. You set me up. That's yep. two sad endings in one, <laughs> so, in one week, man. Well, I can I can pretty much guarantee that the that the next movie does not end on that note. It ends on a on a on a on an un, uncomfortable note but not on not on a sad one i think not 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 in this way um so um but yeah i, I know i th- i thought it was a you know i i thought it was sort of the ending that you kind of had to get in a movie like this yeah. it just felt mm-hmm. like the ending that you were that was going to happen um so it would have been a surprise if they had ended up happy and together for me that would have been like a twist ending in this case yeah that would have been yeah <laughs> Um, but cause you can just feel it. Everything like the music is telling you, like everybody is telling you that this is going to just go in a, uh, you know, somebody is going to die direction. Um, and speaking of the music, I really like that. The music, the movie ends literally with an opera. Like there is like a, uh, uh, Western style opera being sung in the, at the, at the end of the movie. Um, Kathleen battle. Yeah, it was, and I thought, yeah, she's like an actual op- opera singer, and 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 I thought number one that the melody, both in that song and throughout the movie, because they play the theme over and over again, sounds an awful lot like the love theme from The Godfather. Like those first few notes seem really similar to me. Um, I don't know if that was just me being crazy and you know overthinking it. But, when you mentioned it to me in the in, beforehand, I, I, I during the first few notes, I definitely hear it. I don't know if it, it means anything, but I, I, I hear what you're hearing there, definitely. Okay. I just put my hand in the air and say I've never seen The Godfather, so... Oh, but haven't you heard the theme? <laughs> You've, You've never heard the love seen theme, the... right? I've not heard the theme for it either. Okay, we're going to have to remedy this soon, <laughs> because yeah, The Godfather is, is, is a very important... Uh, sort of reference point in pop culture that I want to make sure <laughs> that we can get over to you. Um, we, that, we can now justify it as a Wuxia Weekend movie somehow. <laughs> well, yeah, well, there's a connection. There's a connection there. There's a martial world in The Godfather, you know? Um, the that's, martial that's world true. is basically, basically like the underworld, the criminal yeah. underworld of... That's uh, true. <laughs> the... But uh, but yeah, so you know, detour aside, I I thought the, I thought the music in this is fantastic. I I really like that song. Uh, a- after after I watched the movie again last night, I listened to that song on my player twenty times between then and now. And so you know, to me, that's like it's like when you rewatch a movie, it's like that means it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. That means it's yeah. a very good song. If I'm you know if I'm listening to it twenty times. Well, the song the song was completely in my head when I got that email from you, and I was like, I, I instantly had those notes in my head because the song was just was already there. So yeah, I know what you're talking about. But uh, and you and you're looking at me, Dion, like I'm crazy. So I don't know if that was. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm just not one of those people that can connect music like you can. I'm just kind of uh, like amazed and astonished at you two because I know sometimes. I hear music from one movie to a next, but I can never pinpoint exactly mm. where it's from, and I can never just pinpoint just a few notes. So I'm like completely amazed at you. Well, I mean, it's I think it's well. Keep in mind, I I love The Godfather, so it's a very easy comparison for me to make, and it's a it's probably to be fair a very tenuous comparison. But I don't know. I feel like though I feel like that's because it's opera and it's. I don't know. So it's like the theme is kind of similar, and even if you like, they're they're like if you listen to um, if you listen to speak uh, what is it? Speak softly, love the the lyric version of 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 the Godfather love theme. The lyrics are different, um, but there's still there's still sort of a similar you know kind of thing going on. So so I don't know. Um, but I'll say for my part too, I. I... I, when I when I work, I like to a lot of times if I'm writing or something, I like to listen to music that doesn't have words in it because mm-hmm. words 
mess with me. So I listen to a lot of movie themes when I'm listening to music. <laughs> so I have so many movie themes in my head. Well, what I feel this music really does, like this is like a really moving ending. Like you really feel emotional if you're engaged with it by the end and yeah. you're not like, you know, trying to guard yourself against what the movie wants you to feel. And I, yeah. I feel like that music is a really big part of get you know of bringing that emotion to the surface um you know again maybe maybe that's just because i'm making that godfather connection and you know i you know that's a song that uh you know has that kind of meaning for me but i uh i i i really i like much more like hero i noticed the music and i like the music and it's you know was it a tundoon the uh the guy i think he did the music and uh uh he might have done crouching tiger hidden dragon as well um i can't remember but uh but I find this a lot more moving than that music. I found this to be oh, definitely, you know, yeah. Uh, this didn't feel like that. Felt very like like gravity was dragging that music down. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like and and this and this has like a uh, I don't know. This is sort of like soaring music. Um, so so yeah. So I don't know. Any any other thoughts on the movie? Like, how would you guys compare it to Hero? I would say this is more of a Wuxia movie than Hero was. Not to start, not to start this debate again. <laughs> I think that's a perfectly fine debate to have on Wuxia Weekend, so I say go for it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just something about like this movie. Uh, I, I really like the sort of the melodrama here between the characters and 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 seeing everybody everybody's sort of dilemmas and and trying to guess at their motivations. I don't know. There's just something about seeing more of the world as well, and and getting a hint that of law rather than, um, you know, being given a set a backdrop for everything to happen against it yeah. makes it more interesting. Because we it, ultimately we still know very little about the House of Flying Daggers, and yeah, we we uh, there's still a lot of information that's sort of buried just under the surface that we can't quite get to, and it just leaves me what the um, wanting a bit more to know a bit more as well you know how did you know, the what else they can do they do these dagger techniques of theirs you know can they uh do, do the government actually find people who actually can counter their techniques in the end and you know there's also little, little sort of um jang hu things like that, that which are which which are more present in this movie than they were in hero and and this one I was had, oh go ahead i'm sorry no you go ahead oh no you can go ahead because i my, my point sort of is a slight detour I so is mine. So I was I was thinking that I like this movie um, much more than Hero, just because I think I was more invested in what happened to the characters and the relationships. I felt like I was not part of the movie, but I was sucked so far into the movie that I really cared about what happened. Well, to Jin especially because he was my favorite character, but. Um, I really cared what happened to the relationships. I did want to find out more about the House of Flying Daggers. I don't feel like I got enough about them, but that's okay because the movie wasn't really centered around them. It was centered around these three people and you're so invested in them that when um, May dies at the end, plus the, the music really, I cried harder on this one than I did for Hero. Hero was definitely, I shed some tears at the end. But this one was almost a bawling kind of, you separated the lovers, you can't do this to me. Even though I knew that was going to happen. But um, I was definitely more heart pulled into it than Hero. And one thing I wanted to add as well, I think the the, the lack of a... um clear message that that this movie wants to convey is is also part of the reason why i like it a bit more whereas in hero there's always the whole yeah we, we talked about the politics in hero we mentioned it briefly anyway and there's also there's like the, the message trying to communicate that you know oh, for the sake of the land type of thing you know it's a bit too grand for yeah. me you know, as a wish i think and for it was here it's just like it's just you know they're trying to investigate a leader of a sect and you know they fall in love with people and people fall in love with each other and they all try to kill each other and it's it's definitely it's, it's a more personal level which i usually associate mm-hmm. more with Rusha. well i think it's also kind of interesting because the in the in the last film it's all about sort of the, the king unifying 
China and the assassins giving up the fight because they think it's in everybody's best interest for the for the unification. And then this movie is sort of in a way, I mean, it's, you know, dynasties later. So, I mean, you've had a lot of things happen. Uh, you know, you have you've had transitions into different different dynasties. But uh, but it's you know, it's sort of this is sort of uh ultimately kind of where that you know ultimately where it sort of leads to is this uh this this conflict between the the house of flying daggers and the emperor and i think when you get to the 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 third film in the movie that's when you you get maybe like again i'm not that big into doing political readings into films when i watch them um but i think if you're gonna read hero politically you should read all three of these movies together is one thing and i think when we get to the third one if, if you guys haven't seen it yet, you'll kind of know what I mean by that when we get there. Um, but, but yeah, I agree with you, though. This one doesn't feel like you're not getting you're, you're not getting kind of hit over the head with a message while you're watching it. And and and, and you're kind of there for the for the Wuxia adventure. And and I think that was maybe the element because I know you had mentioned that Hero didn't feel like proper Wuxia to you. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, well, the big difference to me in these ones is this one has a much more of an adventure at the core of it. You know, like two uh, two martial heroes on the road together is an adventure, and you're following them the whole way. And the other one be- was just so much more stately and told from multiple points of view, and so it was just, I don't know, it was just, it was a little bit, uh, it, it wasn't as neatly sort of, here's a story from beginning to end. And, yeah, I think yeah. in the heroes more like we were put, we were dropped into a, a, a scene basically. Yeah. There's no sort of sense of transition between them. Like we're dropped into the scene where he's demonstrating his skills in the library, and then we're dropped into the scene where uh, they're fight with the fighting in the Chin camp, and then we're dropped into the scene where they're talking to the emperor again. And it's all sort of like yeah, it's all very discreet feeling. Whereas in House of Flying Daggers, it's all very smooth. We get seen transitions and and and. Uh, it feels like it's more more of a flow than than hero did. And uh, yeah. oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Adam. I was gonna say, as an additional thought too, it's it's definitely a movie to plan to watch twice if you're gonna watch it. I don't think I don't think it's a movie you can just watch once and really, you know, get everything from it just because. Going back and watching the early parts when you've got the knowledge you get later in the movie gives so much more to it. You can really appreciate Andy Lau's acting. Like I really like yeah. Andy Lau as an actor. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, he's most famed for being one of the four heavenly kings of Hong Kong canto pop. Uh, but his acting skills are not to be underestimated. Yeah, we, we should do. We should do a a, a a a movie at some point that that is is sort of an Andy Lau vehicle, um, just so we can we can focus on that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I thought I thought he did a great job, and I agree with Adam. You have to, you really do have to watch it twice because all the stuff you learn at the end will inform your impression of the earlier scenes when you watch it the second time, and and even the third or fourth time because you really you kind of are really looking for details. I don't think I noticed the smirk on Andy Lau's face in the in the Peony Pavilion until like the third or fourth time that I saw the movie. And, you know, they're just because they're, they're kind of subtle. And there's even one scene where uh, where Jin is sort of boasting when they're coming up with the plan of him pretending to to rescue her that that he'll, uh, you know, like talking about what, you know, how he how he's just like a conqueror of women. How he's just, you know, he's he's, he's uh, you know, and 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 you would think knowing what you know, that Andy Lau is going to be furious, but he's laughing and smiling. But there's this look in his eye that I think kind of betrays what's going on with the smile. And so, but it's a lot more subtle and it took me a while to kind of catch it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We're coming past the hour mark. So, uh, any, any other thoughts or. All right. So, so we'll be, next week we're going to come back with curse of the golden flower, which is the third, uh, in this sequence of films, uh, by this director. And it's, I, I will warn everybody. Number one, it's a, it's a very different movie from these two. It's, it's, it, it's not like, like these, the, the thing that is supposed to kind of tie these together is they're all sort of his ventures into Wuxia. But I think it's of the three, it's the one that probably feels the least Wuxia uh, because there's so much court intrigue and stuff. There, there is fighting, but, 
and, and the fighting is pretty impressive, but it's uh, it's not as how can we say it's not as um, uh, it's not like House of Flying Daggers. It doesn't it doesn't it's not like fight sequence after fight sequence. It's a very compelling movie. It's a it, it's a very weird and disturbing movie too, and I'll I'll explain to you guys after the podcast what I mean by that. Um, but I think it's I think it's going to be an interesting one. And then I think are we doing Painted Skin after that? Is that the is that the film that we're going to round out the month month with? Yes. All right. So we'll do Painted Skin, which I'm really looking forward to. And and yeah. So we will be back on, and we will talk to you later. Bye.